Our message today comes from 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not, by, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Please uh, join me in a brief moment of prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that uh, just as Paul speaks about in this text, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to rightly divide the Word of God Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide and our instructor. Not me, Lord God. I am but a vessel and a broken and damaged vessel at that. So, Father, we do pray that that your Holy Spirit would guide our thoughts. Pray that your Holy Spirit would guide my words. And we pray, Lord God, that you would enable us to put out of our minds all of the cares and the distractions of this world. And we also pray that you would enable us to set aside the wisdom of this world and that we would seek to find wisdom and truth in your word. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So living in the, uh, in the information age has pros and cons, right? I mean, on the one hand, we have at our fingertips a plethora of information. Um, you know, just on our tablet, on our smartphone, you know, we have access to all of the major libraries of the world. You can visit museums, any museum you want. You can do these virtual tours. I mean, just everything that you would want to know is just all right there at your fingertips. And um, I know the younger kids are going, was there ever a time when that was not? I grew up in the days when if you wanted to find information, you had to go to the library. You had to get off of your rear end and go someplace. And then you would pull out these really long drawers with all these little three-by-five index cards trying to figure out where in the world is this thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? And then when you finally mastered those dumb little drawers, then they go to the Internet, right? Like, really? A skill that's been wasted. But now you don't have to leave your own living room. It's all right there. You can uh, buy, you don't even have to go to the bookstore to buy a book. You just buy them online. You download them. You read them right there. 
getting to where nobody even leaves to go to the grocery store. Or to Home Depot, just order the part you want. Let it come to your house. We don't have to go anywhere anymore. On the other hand, there is so much information that is out there that it is almost dizzying how much information is available. It's information overload, right? There's just too much. I've gotten to where when I buy things online, I've given up on reading the reviews because they go on and on and on and on. And for everyone that says, this is great, you should buy it, there's another one that says, this is terrible, don't waste your money. <laughs> Forget it. I don't know. Who knows, right? Sometimes I long for the days when the daily news was delivered at my front door and I could pick it up. And it was a finite amount of information. I could sit there, drink my coffee, read the news, I'm done, throw it in the trash, I'm gonna go about my day. Now the articles are endless, and the sub-articles are endless, and by the time you think you've gotten through it all, they've changed the main article at the top of the page. You could read news literally all day long and never read the same story twice. It is almost overwhelming how much information is really out there. And to make matters worse, anyone who is even moderately techie can create their own website. And they can put on there whatever they want, and they can make it look official. And this looks like an official news report from an anonymous source. And at the end of the day, it is nearly impossible to know who to believe. Can I believe any of this? How much of this is true? What's not true? What can I believe? And for every story that is out there, for every story that is out there that says this is fact, and here is all of the irrefutable evidence to prove that this is fact, there's a counter story that says the opposite is fact. And here is all the irrefutable evidence to demonstrate that this is fact. And to make matters even worse, we now live in a day and age where your average teenager can Photoshop actual photographs and make them look genuine. This has become a big problem today, particularly for politicians. It wasn't that long ago when Senator Marco Rubio of Florida was running for president and a photograph started circulating, showing him shaking hands with President Obama, and they're smiling at each other, and uh, it was used to show that he is buddy-buddy with this president. Don't believe anything he says when he talks bad about that president. And then it was later proven that that photograph was entirely faked. It never happened, but it looked real. Now there's programs where you can take a photograph and you can erase somebody out of the photograph on your phone. You can erase images out of the photograph on your phone so that nobody even knows you were there. There used to be a saying when I was growing up, a picture is worth a thousand words. Because you can't fake a photograph. Well, yes, you can. Now we can fake photographs. And so we struggle today. Maybe you don't, but I know that I do. 
We struggle today with knowing the difference between truth and error. Reality and fiction, reporting and rumors. And so we just end up believing, myself included, if I'm honest, we end up simply believing the people that tell us what we want to hear. I like this reporting. It sounds good to me. So this is who I'm going to listen to, and I'm going to believe that they're telling the truth. Even if it's not the truth, at least I sleep well at night. Because at the end of the day, we don't really know who to believe anymore. Of course, figuring out what is true and false has really always been a problem. This isn't really new. Remember that when Jesus stood before Pilate, he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. To which Pilate replied, what is truth? Does that even exist? What is truth? Is it tangible? Can it be found? Can it be discovered? Is there truth in the world? Of course, today the postmodernists would say no. There is no such thing as truth. There is only subjective assertions. But if that's true, then that statement itself then is not true, that there is no such thing as truth. So that means that there must be truth. And so you see then that postmodernism simply collapses in on itself. It's self-defeating. Because there is, if there is no truth, then that statement itself cannot be true, that there is no truth. In the end, this is what Paul wants the church in Corinth to understand. That within the dizzying array of worldly wisdom and conflicting worldviews, there is truth and objective reality. Because you got to understand that, like I said, this isn't new. This isn't a new phenomenon. Trying to figure out what is truth and what is false, it's only gotten worse, I think, but it's not new. And the Christians in Corinth lived really right on the edge. They lived between the Western world and the Eastern world. They lived between a worldview the Jewish worldview that said there is only one God and the Western worldview, the Roman worldview that said, no, there are a pantheon of gods. The Greeks, of course, they believed in a pantheon of gods. But, of course, all of their gods were not the same as the Roman gods. And so they lived in a time where they were asking themselves, well, what is true? The Jews say there's only one God. And everything that we believe and that the Romans believe is false. Well, is that true? The Romans say, no, the Jews are wrong. There are lots of gods. But you Greeks have all the wrong gods. We have all the right gods. The Corinthian Christians lived in a world of conflicting wisdom and conflicting worldviews. 
And so Paul, ever since chapter 1, verse 18, he has been tearing that down. That's what he's been doing. He's tearing down their worldview. He's tearing down all of the worldly wisdom that they grew up on, that they are banking on. Yes, they've become Christians, but their Christian worldview is being mingled with their Greek pantheistic worldviews, their way of living, their culture. The old man dies hard. They're trying to figure out how does a Greek-slash-Roman Christian live in this world. And so Paul has been tearing down everything that they have been taught to trust in, everything that they have been taught to believe, to put your faith in, to be grounded upon. Paul just rips the rug out from underneath them. That's not going to work because it's foolishness. The wisdom of the world is absolute foolishness. Because, as he said, if they were wise, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the people of this world, the wisdom of this world is so dumb that their own creator comes to them. And they don't even recognize him. In fact, they crucify him. Human beings, in the end, are like the proverbial flea in his heart who says, there is no dog. It's just us. So now what? What is Paul going to put in its place? He has thoroughly torn down their worldview. He has thoroughly torn down everything that they have been trusting in and built their world upon, right? Paul has ripped out from underneath them the internet, and Facebook, and Twitter, and Snapchat, and Instagram, and MSNBC, and CNN, and Fox News. <gasps> no, yes, Fox News. Throwing it all out. So what is Paul going to put in its place? Because if we can't trust the wisdom of this world, if we can't trust the information that we are gathering from this world, if we can't trust our government, if we can't trust the experts, if we can't trust the news reports, if we can't trust what we read on the internet, if we can't trust what we're being taught in public schools and institutions of higher education, well, then what? This is where Paul is going. This is where Paul is going with this, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That this sentence begins with the word for, again, means that he is explaining what he has just said in verse 10. 
These things, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no heart of man has imagined, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Things that no human ear can hear, things that no human eye can see, things that no heart can even imagine or begin to comprehend. These things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 4, verse 11. Who knows? For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. God has revealed his secret decrees to us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is able to do so because of what he states in verse 11. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God because the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. Paul's point is that your spirit is who you are. Your spirit is who you are. That is, according to Scripture, where your personality and your character and your psyche resides. Your body is just the case to carry around who you are. Now, that's not to say that the body has no value. The body does have value. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, and to be created in the image of God means to be body and soul. Body and soul is what it means to be created as God's image. But your spirit is who you are. That is why in heaven we still possess conscious awareness. In heaven. Because our spirit is who we are. I'll give you one verse to support that. Revelation 6.10. Beginning in verse 9, the Apostle John writes this, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. So he saw the souls of Christian martyrs who had died in the past. Verse 10, And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So in heaven, the spirits of believers who have died in the past, they know where they are, and they know who they are with, and they know why they are there, and they know how they got there. They have been martyred during their life on earth, and they are wondering how much longer before Christ returns and avenges avenges their blood. Paul's point is that no one knows you better than you. 
right? No one knows you better than you. No matter how much time you spend with another person, no matter how long you've been married to that person, no matter how transparent and open you are with that other person that you've been married to for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years, the bottom line is they still do not know you as well as you know you. Because there are always those deep, hidden thoughts intentions of the heart, motives, emotions that we simply don't share for various reasons. No one knows you better than you know you. And for most of us, we probably like it that way, don't we? Pastor and theologian Steve Brown would often say to his church, if you knew me, the way I know me, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. But then he would say, but if I knew you the way you know you, I wouldn't want to be your pastor. <laughs> no one knows your innermost thoughts and intentions of the heart except you. Well, God, of course, because God is all-knowing. But I'm saying that in the human realm, amongst people that are like ourselves, no one knows you better than you know you. And those to whom you choose to reveal yourself. This is also true of God. No one knows God better than God knows God. Primarily because God is invisible. So anything that we know about God, it's only because God has chosen to reveal himself to us. This is true even in the garden. You know, the Bible tells us that God is spirit. He is invisible. He cannot be seen or heard or known unless God chooses to reveal himself to humanity. Had God not chosen to reveal himself to Adam and Eve, literally Adam and Eve would have, Adam would have come to life. He would have looked around and been thoroughly confused about where he was or who he was or what are these strange creatures that are walking around around me and how did I get here and what is this place and what am I supposed to do? Had God not revealed himself, both Adam and Eve would have been thoroughly confused once God created Eve. Who are you and where did you come from? And how did you get here? And why do you look like me, but yet at the same time not really like me? God chose to reveal himself to Adam and Eve. And this is not just, when we talk about God revealing himself to people, God revealing himself to humanity, we are not just talking about subjective revelation. We're not just talking about subjective feelings, that God has revealed himself to me because I feel that God has revealed himself to me. I feel God. I know that God exists because I feel the existence of God. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus 
is God become human. God revealed himself to humanity in physical human form. Right? We read about that in places like Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by our fathers through the prophets. That was then. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There came a time in world history when God, the creator of all that exists, said, I am done speaking to humanity through other people. I am going to come down there and speak to them myself directly, literally face to face. In the face of Jesus Christ, the disciples were looking at the face of God. And they spoke to him face to face. They saw what Moses longed to see and was forbidden from seeing. They saw the face of God. Mary kissed the face of God. And then Jesus proves it by raising himself from the dead. That he is God who has revealed himself to humanity. And then beyond that, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for correction, for training, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Thea pnustas. Theos, God, pneustos, spirit, wind. All scripture is from the spirit of God. Given to us by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's first point is this. Only God knows the things of God. And no one can know the things of God unless God reveals them to him. His second point is in verse 12. Paul will go on to argue this. The Spirit of God who knows the things of God has been given to us. The Spirit of God who knows the things of God has been given to us. Believers possess in themselves this same spirit so that we might understand the things of God. Look at verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. God's actual spirit. His spirit, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us to indwell us. 
Paul makes that point quite forcefully in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, For you, talking to believers, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You've received the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When the Holy Spirit makes us alive, this is not just an external event. He enters into our souls and makes us alive from the inside out. It's not something external that he does to us. It's something internal that he does to us. And we become alive from the inside out. And our heart is softened and our eyes are opened. And we are driven toward Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul is able to say of himself in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Don't miss the enormity of what Paul is saying in that statement. Because I know we read that and we think, but what does that mean? Because if Jesus is human, and he remains human, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, then how is it that Christ lives in me? Because the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit, and Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus's Spirit, just like you and I have our own spirit this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God, by the way. Just because, just as you and I have our own spirit that is our personality and our psyche, so also God, Jesus, has his own spirit that is his personality and his psyche, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of God. Thus, the very same spirit that is, not was, the very same spirit that is in Christ by whom the world was created, Genesis 1-1, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep, by whom the world was created, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very same Holy Spirit that indwells each and every One reason the Spirit is given to believers, not the only reason, but one reason the Spirit is given to believers is so that, as Paul says, we might understand the things of God. So that we might understand the things of God. This is amazing if you take a moment to ponder it. If no one knows you like your Spirit knows you, and no one knows me like my Spirit knows me, 
The only way that you could really know me, the way that I know me, is if somehow my spirit or a part of my spirit was taken from me and put in you. Then you would have my thoughts, my intentions, my emotions. And then you would know me the way that I know me. No one knows God as God knows God. No one knows God as the Spirit knows God. And that very same Spirit is taken from God and placed in every single believer so that you might know God as the Holy Spirit knows God. God's Spirit, who knows everything about God, has been given to us so that we might know God the way the Holy Spirit knows God. Not infinitely or inexhaustibly or perfectly, primarily because we are not infinite. We are finite creatures. We cannot contain all of the knowledge of an infinite God in ourselves. And we struggle to know God perfectly, not because of any fault of the Holy Spirit, but because our sin skews what the Holy Spirit teaches us. But someday we will know God perfectly and accurately, and we are free of sin. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand the things of God. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, by the way. There he says this, all things, praying to the Father, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Why? Because they share the same Spirit. No one knows the Father except the Son. And listen, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The Son chooses to reveal the Father to all those who believe. And here's where all of this is leading to, verse 13. And we impart this in words, in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And we impart this, this knowledge of God that has been revealed to us by His own Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom that is not derived from the world, but taught by the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul made this point regarding his own conversion quite strongly in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Remember this, Paul says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. What is true of Paul, my friends, is also true of you. That you and the church in Corinth, you, the reason that you understand the gospel, which is the things of God, the gospel falls into that category. The reason you understand the gospel and all of the things of God is not because you received it from man. 
but because you received it from the Holy Spirit. You received it from God. Thus, Paul's point is that we impart in words, not taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit, interpreting truths to those who are spiritual. In other words, what we proclaim. Here's the point, I think, that Paul wants the church to understand. What we proclaim in the words of Scripture, right? What we proclaim by using the words of Scripture, when we are staying faithful to the text, when we are being faithfully led by the Holy Spirit, whether you are talking about street evangelism, whether you are talking about being a Sunday school teacher, whether you are talking about being a home Bible study teacher, or whether a person is preaching from behind the pulpit, when we are preaching, speaking, sharing, proclaiming the words of Scripture, being faithful to the text, and being led by the Holy Spirit, we are speaking the very words of God. We speak the very words of God. Because this Bible, this Bible is truth. It is truth. It is absolute truth. It is God's truth. And the Holy Spirit enables us to understand it rightly. You know, this is the singular reason. What I'm saying right here, right now, is the singular reason why I preach the way I do. Over the years, I've had people come to me and they want to compliment me and, oh, you're such a bold preacher. I love that your boldness and you don't hold back and you just preach it like it is. It's got nothing to do with my character. It has nothing to do with my personality. It has everything to do with the fact that I know this is truth. And so I preach it boldly because it's the word of God. I'm not going to shy away from it. I don't care what people think about how I say it. If you want someone to feed you what you want to hear, go somewhere else. I know that I am standing squarely on the word of God. And it is the only truth that exists in this world that is authoritative, infallible, without error. And you can bank on it. It is objective truth. And God is simply using me to interpret spiritual truths to spiritual people. But in the end, it is the word of God. And so, my friends, here's the take-home for you. Don't shy away from speaking the word of God boldly. Don't shy away from it. You have truth on your side. Truth is on your side. You have the only reliable source of truth truth. If you possess the Holy Spirit and you are sticking closely to the Word of God, then be bold in your evangelism. Be bold in your Sunday school class. Be bold in your life group. 
Be bold at work. Teach with boldness and confidence when you are standing on the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit so that we might know you the way you know you. And we thank you for giving us your word that was given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us and to instruct us. We thank you that your word is trustworthy authoritative and infallible. And so, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to be bold in our faith as we look at your word and know that this is truth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we go to the Lord's Supper, you know, I am reminded of uh, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the truth of God's Word in human form. And yet, sadly, Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? You know, Jesus had to have been thinking to himself, he's standing right in front of you. Truth is standing right in front of you. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. As we take the Lord's Supper, as we hand to the elements, we are reminded that the God of creation took on human form and revealed himself to us and spoke to us that Jesus is the word of God, that Jesus is the truth of God for us, and he becomes our wisdom. And he does this not because we deserve it, but simply because God is rich in mercy and grace and love. So if you're visiting with us this morning, know that the Lord's Supper is uh, open to all true believers. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, then um, you are welcome to come forward down the center aisle and take the, uh, the Lord's Supper uh, with us. If that does not describe you, please don't take it. Parents, please monitor your children. If they're not in the faith, please don't allow them to take from the sacrament.